Welcome to It's a Dog's Life. I'm Brian Dickerson with Canine Hemp Solutions, and joining me this week is Dr. Jill Lopez. I'll let Dr. Lopez give a little background about herself. Thank you, Dr. Lopez, for joining us. I'm so excited to be on your show. Well, I am a veterinarian, but I, I worked in practice for a few years, but I had, I've actually had a career in the non-traditional roads, so I've worked more in, in the industry but I've worked for ASPCA, I worked for Merck, and then I walked away from corporate America and started my own media company. Uh, one of them is Pet Candy. It's for pet lovers, and we talk about everything pets. So that's how I think I met you, Brian. That's correct. Yeah. And as far as in the vet space, what's your experience in the vet space and letting everybody know that you've seen it and done it all type thing? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've done it all. I had a job once where I had to count dog food. I swear to God, the kibbles. I didn't have a job that did that. I had a job where I had to I had to work with a fashion designer, and I had to get a bunch of animals fitted with with uh, couture and have humans. They're humans also fitted with human couture for shows. So I've done strange things like that. Um, I also at Merck, what I guess I'm most well known for is while I was at Merck, I helped with the discovery of dog flu in the United States, the newer strain that came out in 2015. And I worked with Merck and Cornell University with uh, diagnostics. So we were able to isolate the strain and figure out what was going on. And I guess that's my claim to fame is dog flu, dog flu discovery. And then with that, we were able to bring the um, isolate virus to the USDA and they were able to create the vaccine that's on the market all like there's two vaccines on the market and they all came from the testing that that I helped um, procure back in the day and now dog flu is on the rise again by the way it's on the rise yeah I saw that actually on a uh, post the other day talking about the the risk of dog flu and what to, to help your dogs with to try to combat it what without just the vaccine what would you recommend pet owners to do as ours with uh, the dog flu? Well, you know, dog, the new strain of dog, there's two types of dog flu. First one started in your home state of Florida. That one sort of, I guess it's sort of one, I mean, it's probably there, but they don't see it as often. The second one came from Asia and it is super, it's super um, contagious. It spreads like wildfire. And most dogs will have mild signs, but it, it can cause really severe lung signs. It's an influenza. So sometimes it's it gets into the lungs and it causes severe damage. So you, you can't tell by looking at a dog who's going to have mild signs or who's going to have severe signs, which is scary. So the vaccine works well. That vaccine helps protect and helps build up antibodies. Um, the other things to do is just to keep an eye out, listen for outbreaks. There's Looking at the news, I hear about outbreaks all over the United States right now, so it makes me a little nervous. So if your dog goes to dog parks, boarding kennels, dog daycares, um, dog fashion shows, dogs like that, would you definitely want to consider getting a vaccine. But if not, I just probably, it's just like COVID, right? You know, try to keep your pet six feet away from any dogs, you know, and, and limit their exposure. It's, it's, it's very contagious, though. Super what? contagious. What are the symptoms of this dog flu? Well, you can have a dog who looks completely, it's, it's almost like COVID, right? You can have a dog who looks completely normal, but sick and is spreading the disease through its drool or maybe if it sneezes or coughs or something. 
Um, and then you can have dogs that are just coughing, respiratory disease. It's a lower respiratory disease. So you you when you see the more moderate to severe signs, they have pneumonia. And and it, it can be deadly. It just the the mortality rate's low compared to how fast it spreads. Um, but it it pretty much just wipes out the lungs. The lungs look like they were in a blender. And again, you can't tell. Like you would think it would be like a really old, debilitated animal that would be most susceptible to it, but you could have a young healthy dog have this severe sun. So it's it's just a strange, strange virus. And it's part of the influenza viruses. So um, sometimes you'll also see diarrhea and vomiting. It's strange. It's just like influenza or flu in people, but um, it's just, you know, super contagious. Rarely you see fatalities, but it can be preventable with with vaccines and also with, you know, preventing exposure. When you were talking earlier, you mentioned Cornell University. So you worked with Cornell in your previous work at Merck, correct? Yeah, yeah. Cornell has um, probably one of the top. Actually, I would say, you know, I could say whatever I want, right? It's the number one diagnostic lab. And whenever dog flu first came out, it's a very interesting story. I was actually on vacation at my parents' house in West Virginia. And um, somebody called me from work and said, there's something funny going on in Chicago. Can you help? And so I talked to a couple of vets and and when I was talking to them, they said something is going on. They they've never seen so many sick dogs that have the respiratory signs, and they sent all their their panels to IDEX at the time, and everything came back negative or just you know just weird things popping up, but nothing that really would explain what was going on. So um, I talked to Dr. David Glonsky, who's um, he was up in Chicago, and uh, I worked with him, and he he was amazing. He got his clients to come in. Um, they pulled blood from dogs that were sick. They swabbed the nose of dogs that were currently sick. And we sent it to Cornell. And they have an amazing um, diagnostic lab there. It's called the Cor- um, Colin Parrish Laboratory. And it's ran by Dr. Colin Parrish. <laughs> so he and then Dr. Um, Ed DeBovey, who's a, a world-renowned um, virologist, they, they looked into it. And they were you know, they looked at, they looked at, you know, it sounded like flu to me. It really sounded like flu, but all the tests with IDEX were negative. And then it turns out they called me, it was Easter weekend and they called me on a Sunday. I guess it was Sunday, Easter, and they identified it and they were going to press with the results and they found out it was this strain that had never been found in North America before. It was H3N2. And so then we know what happened. And it turns out that IDEX was only testing for the H3 and 8, which is the older, the older flu for dogs. So it comes back to like we focus now with our current situation is how important the accurate testing is. Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes whenever when you get a lot of negatives and you have a lot of sick dogs, you got to you got to go to the best, right? You got to get and then you can, you know, with as many samples as you can get, they eventually were able to isolate it. And then the funny thing was, is uh, Princeton University's statistics team actually mapped this. And we used to have a, well, there's a video somewhere on the internet where it starts out in Chicago. Chicago was the first um, situation. And we looked back at the data and IDEX started retesting their earlier samples. There were two dogs in Chicago that were the first ones that test positive. And I think one one had been around like the O'Hare airport. So the thought is that it probably somehow had gotten it from from Korea or someplace in Asia and brought it over. And that one dog spread it 
across the United States, you know, you know, from one getting it to the other. And it was it was in nine state. No, it was in um, I was in 30 states within nine months. So it spread very quickly from just that probably that one dog that had it. And um, it was it was strange. And then it seemed like it was under control. After a while, we would have these huge outbreaks and then it was sort of quiet. But now you're starting to hear about it again. And to focus on Cornell, you and I have discussed Cornell mm-hmm. University, the study that Cornell's done on CBDA and CBD. Yeah, with Dr. Washlog, with Dr. Washlog, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. They're, and Cornell is like the number one. It's either, it's always Taz, number one or number two vet school in the United States. And whenever they do something, they do it right. So, that's true. Whenever when I started seeing CBD information come out and it came from Cornell, I was like, whoa, it's you know, that's serious. <laughs> it's Cornell. They're the top. Right. And so it you know, that really got my attention when I first started hearing the mutterings about CBD. Yeah, that that study came out in 2018 talking about CBDA having that better benefit they found as far as the man, mammals having bioavailability than mm-hmm. a CBD oil. And I guess, can you explain to the audience, bioavailability is so key when it comes to helping and treating animals and, and mammals in general. What does that mean as far as for you as a vet? Bioavailability, if you have something that like bioavailability means that it's it's broken down quickly or it's available in the serum quicker. So you may have something that, you know, you have to give a huge amount to get a little bit in the serum because it's not breaking down and not going to the blood system and that's not good so having something that is available and it's dispersed through the body through the circulation is is better because you don't have to give as much which is good so um so you know by availability some things have to be broken down they have to be metabolized some things don't um, and so if something has to be broken down and metabolized, it takes a little bit more time. There's also this weird thing that's called interhepatic recirculation where it goes through the liver and it keeps going into the system and then back to the liver. So things like that have um, interhepatic circulation sometimes will take longer or they'll stay longer in the system. So bioavailability is, is pretty important because, you know, first of all, you have to give less stuff to get the, you know, the same effects as if you give more stuff of something that has less bioavailability. And with bioavailability, can you explain your experience? I mean, from, I'm a non-scientist, but the Mm -hmm. the water-soluble version of a product and how it has that better bioavailability? Well, if something, if, um, I mean, things are either water-soluble, so they're, they're absorbed, they're absorbed quickly in water or they're lipid-soluble. So, so with bioavailability, it's going to tell you how well something is absorbed. And so things that are that are water-based are, you know, usually absorbed quicker depending on, you know, depending what what the vehicle is. Sometimes when you have something that is like lipid-soluble, lipid means fat, you have to put it in in an oil base to get it to be absorbed so having something like a water-based one's going to be, you know, more preferred. And if anybody wants to find the study, it's easy to do just to search for um, Cornell University canine CBD study, but it's at vet.cornell.edu. 
cbdcanine.edu and you just do the search for CBD canine study and it comes up, but it's, it's a remarkable reading on how CBD and CBDA helps the dogs with inflammation. And, and I'm wondering, uh, Doc, with mm-hmm. the, the influenza, is inflammation of the lung, is that an issue at all? Yeah, you know, it it pretty much is influenza is going to tear up. It's just going to destroy the lung tissues if it has a chance in those severe cases. So, so there would be inflammation there for sure. So, and it's going to be painful. It's very painful. If you've, I mean, I had influenza A just a few weeks ago, and I'll tell you, it was awful. And just that coughing, you know, dogs are going to be coughing, and you don't think about it, but it's very, it's very painful when they're coughing. So, doctor, what do you understand as far as the proper dosage with regard to CBD for dogs? Well, Brian, when you're looking at nutraceuticals, nutraceuticals do not have to go through FDA regulation. They don't have to go through efficacy and safety testing, and they don't have to like confirm their ingredients like you do with the FDA products. So what I always recommend is when you're looking for any type of a supplement, you want to go for something that has you know, a lot of science behind it. Um, but if you're looking at the dose, the, actually the Cornell article, they, the Cornell team suggests that it's, um, the dose of CBD oil is going to be two milligrams per kilogram. So two milligrams per kilogram of the dog weight, yeah. correct? Yeah, that's the, there's a range, but that's the dosage that they, that they came up with in that, um, in that article. And you see a lot of CBD products on the marketplace as far as the different types of dosage. But going back to that discussion of bioavailability, if something is a water-soluble for a dog versus oil, that's going to make a difference when somebody's buying a product as far as how well it's going to be absorbed by the dog and benefit the dog, correct? Yeah, yeah. And and again, I think with nutraceuticals, you really have to you have to find a product that is, you know, proven that that the company that makes it has a lot of science to stand by it. You know, it's it's you know, I've talked to you about this before is you can't, you could get a bunch of, there's so many products out there with CBD and you don't really know what's in there because they don't have to go through the compliance like an FDA product. So you want to make sure when you choose a CBD product, choose it from a, a reputable seller who has that science, who who discloses what's in there. Um, and, you know, something that's more bioavailable is going to work quicker, which is good. And that's what you want. And you'll have to use less of it. And on the, the marketplace like you're talking about, mm-hmm. you've, you've seen products out there. Our product, the Canine Hemp Solution product, we have our third-party certificate of analysis actually there you go. On, the, on the product with the QR yeah. code. So any consumer can hit that QR code, see what actually is in the product, and they can also see when the hemp was grown, when it was extracted and made in that final product. So that's what you're talking about, correct? Yeah. You want to have a company that does something like that, and especially third party. <laughs> third party is always good because there's so many things of CBD on it. There's for dogs and cats. It's There's just a huge, huge amount of options out there. So you want to be really, really cautious. And, and you know, also know, know where the hemp came from. You know, if it's from somewhere else, if it's imported, you, you know, what what kind of pesticides were used on it? You don't know, but you know having something that you you can trace back and know where the hemp is grown, um, understand like third party party analysis that would make me choose that product definitely over a, co- a competition. Uh, you know I want to make sure I'm getting what I'm asking, what I'm paying for, and I want it to work and be safe. And that's I think that's the point exactly because 
when we look at competitor products out there, our our COA is third party, but it also breaks down any heavy metals, pesticides, mm -hmm. beyond just what's the cannabinoids in the product. And what we find a lot on our testing of competitor products is they don't have that COA on there. And uh -huh. when we test it, we find out they, they have pesticides and type of heavy metals in their product. Yeah, it's scary. You know, when you're looking at, you know, sadly, I, I love, well, I mean, like nutraceuticals and supplements, I love them because I, you know, a lot of times I don't want to use a medicine. I like to use something natural when I'm, you know, with me and my family and my pets. It's sad that they're not really mar they're not really monitored like an FDA product would be. So you do have people that will use products that are not they're not good, they're not effective, or maybe they have other contaminants in there, and you don't find out about it until something happens, right? You don't find out. No one's testing this stuff until something bad happens and some dog's sick and then they start testing them. So having a company that tests it and discloses it, uses a third party, that's that's definitely what you want to look for. And for people in the audience, I know this it's it's a dog's life podcast. Mm -hmm. But uh, Dr. Lopez is the responsible person for um, having a conversation with me in the past year and saying there's nothing out there really good for cats. Yeah. So we actually, for the people who have dogs and cats, we actually made our hemp flavin, the flavonoid product um, from the hemp plant that we have specifically for cats. So we actually made the cat product and dosage specifically after talking with Dr. Lopez. Mm -hmm. So if you can Doc, what, what's the significance of cats and like a CBD hemp flavonoid product? Well, you know, cats, well, I mean, CBD has been used for many different purposes and, and from, from pain to anxiety, there's some, there's some anecdotal use for, for anxiety. And, and, you know, whenever a dog is painful or they're anxious, you know about it, right? Cause they're right in your face, going nuts, tearing something up. Um, cats suffer from anxiety as well. They, they do. No one realizes it because cats are like very independent and they're also they don't want us to know when they have a weakness. Um, so but they do have anxiety. Usually that's when you have more than one cat. There's especially if you have like several cats, there's like a packing order and there's always the one at the at the low end of the totem pole who is everybody's mean to. Um, and then you have cats are just anxious for other reasons, like maybe it's too loud. Maybe they hate your dog. There's a lot of a lot of things that can make a cat anxious, and they don't do the same thing that a dog does. Like a cat who is anxious is not going to tear up your shoes. They're not going to go go crazy when you come home because they miss you. What they do is they pee or poop somewhere. So they pee in weird places. They poop in some weird places, and and they hide, which is what cats do. And so you know, cats definitely have anxiety. And, and so CBD is something that could, you know, really help, you know, could potentially help something with that with cats. Another problem cats have, especially, you know, cats are living to be very old nowadays with all the advances in veterinary medicine. So it's common to see a cat that's in their 20s. And so just like us, they get arthritis, they get painful joints, but you don't know because they're very quiet about it. They don't come home and they don't like go crazy. I mean, when your dog has a pain, you know, right? You're, you know your dog is painful. You know your dog has arthritis. But if your cat is painful and arthritic, they may walk a little funny, but you might not notice what's wrong with them. And again, they like to sleep and they like to hide. So you might not realize that they're painful. But, you know, they, they do get painful. They do get arthritis. So talking about arthritis and, and pain, 
in the equine vet world, we know this. In the human world, about NSAIDs and, and how they can mm-hmm. be damaging to digestive tracts, stomachs, and everything. Is yeah. Is yeah. applicable with dogs and cats? Yeah. And non-steroidals can definitely be a problem long-term in pets, in people, too. I mean, I hate, I hate taking... I mean, sometimes I'll have to take like a Tylenol or something or ibuprofen. Uh, one Tylenol on a cat could kill it. So you can never, ever, ever use Tylenol on a cat. Ibuprofen also, ibuprofen could be deadly to a dog or a cat. There are NSAIDs that are made for dogs and cats. And, but you have to be really careful. But the thing about arthritis, it's not like they're painful for a couple of days. They're painful for their entire life. So that's like a chronic medication they're on. So if you can choose something that is not so, you know, irritating to their stomach, you know, something natural, I like things that are natural, it's probably better. You know, it's probably, you know, a, an alternative to using non And with non you know, it's just like with people, long-term use could be a problem if they have, um, you know, sometimes if they have an empty stomach, it can make them sick. Um, some of the the veterinary products have been associated with weird, weird kind of, you know, sensitivities that sometimes you'll see when they're, when they're given to pets. But you have to be really cautious with non You really have to go in and have your pet's blood work checked every three to six months to make sure everything's okay. Because like, well, like with people, it can lead to, you know, stomach ulcers and other things. And what is the common non-steroid NSAID for uh, dogs? There, there's a whole bunch but um, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch that they use. There's one I don't want to drop any names, but there's one that was was probably like the granddaddy of all non-steroidals that a lot of people use, and now it's available as a generic. But you you know it can be used safely. It's been FDA approved, so it means they had efficacy and safety studies. Um, but you you just got to be careful, just like with people. Ibuprofen and Tylenols is has been, you know, proof for use in humans, but you will have people that have adverse events to them. So with any drug. So then being able to find a natural product that's like either a CBDA, the, the hemp flavonoids or CBD that has that inflammatory assistance and discomfort assistance is beneficial then. Yeah. If you can if you can have that and, and if you know, if it works for your pet, then that would be something you could choose over using like a chronic use of a non steroidal. But sometimes, you know, I mean it just it depends on the pet. And again, you know, these products um are FDA approved for use in in dogs. But I'm just like I'm just cautious with chronic medication. Because it's gonna help something short term, but it may be more impactful and harmful longer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have to monitor them. If my dogs were on, and I'm sure my dogs might have to be on something one of these days because they're huge, they're they're going to be very painful, so they need something. And so if they were on that medication, I would definitely have their blood work checked every maybe three to six months just to make sure that they're doing okay and monitor, make sure they're eating okay. You know, when they're not eating, it makes you nervous if they're not eating or they have diarrhea. You just have to, you have to really watch them. But but again, you know, if you if you have a good CBD product and it helps the pet and the pet helps control the pain, then I would choose that over a non steroidal for sure. And real quickly, because we're going to have to end up here, but a mm-hmm. lot of people complain or have issues with their pets with allergies. What is mm-hmm. in most situations driving those type of allergies if it's not like a specific plant that causes it? You know, there... There's so many reasons why you have an itchy pet. It can be it can be allergies. Some pets will have food allergies. Some pets will have environmental allergies. 
there there's so many different things and it seems like the allergies for pets are on the rise we see that a lot um in the veterinary world so one of the most common ones is called atopy which just means the pet is inhaling something that they're allergic to and then their whole skin is like responds to it so it can get very very itchy so sometimes that allergy could be internal sometimes it can be external yeah, yeah. You can have a contact allergy where an animal touches something they're allergic to. I had a <clears throat> had a dog that has allergies to everything. We we did her um, allergy test once, and it was like I think ninety different things she was allergic to, even dust mites. Um, she we got her a beautiful bed for Christmas from PetSmart, and she laid on it, and her whole belly was red. And it turns out she was allergic to polyester fibers, and there was polyester fibers there, so she had like a contact allergy. But they can also, they can also inhale an allergy and be, you know have an aller, um, allergic reaction to it as well. So, summation, I guess you're saying is you got to look what products you're using out there. They're not mm -hmm. approved F CBD products, and they're approved by the FDA. So you got to yeah. see what you're buying and, and make sure you're buying what you think you're buying. Yeah, I think you know whenever you're buying something, you know you're it's it's you and it's up to you to make sure you're buying something that's safe and effective. So you want to buy from a company that you can trust. Um, and and um, you know, speaking of of allergies, they have done studies on um, using CBD for a topic like I told you atopy, a topic dermatitis in humans. Uh, so there is you know there there may be something there too. There's the strange thing about CBD is it's it's got such such great potential and there's a lot of you know we we get a lot of things in the veterinary world based on what what's going on with the human world but we need to you know in the veterinary world we really need to do more studies we're seeing all these studies in humans and we really need to do the studies in in animals as well because there there's a lot of opportunity with cbd and i do know that they have done they did um osteoarthritis study through texas a&m and it had really great very favorable results and I know that people are looking into it, but it would be nice for them to look into the same kind of diseases we're seeing in people that we're, we're able to use CBD for with pets. So right now, a lot of times you just sort of extrapolate and then the, the humans become the animal testing. You know, we're testing on humans now and then we can see how it works and put it in the animals, which is fun. Well, we're about ready to end this up. Why okay. don't you, Doc, give everybody a little background as far as just your podcast that you have, how people can find out about your podcast and yeah. what it is intended to do for people. Yeah. So with, with Pet Candy, we have several podcasts. We have Pet Candy Radio. It's available on any podcast platform you have. We've got um, Simply Pets with Dr. Shannon Gregoire, where she talks about things like CBD and and osteoarthritis and anxious cats. Another show called Bees and Queens. We just have a good time and talk to people in the pet pet world, people that love pets. And my favorite show is called Obsessed with the Palmers, where we have a married couple who are comedians and they have a show about urban legends, cryptids, which are mythological beasts. <laughs> so we have a lot, we have we have a show for everybody on our show. It's um very entertaining and it's Pet Candy Radio. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Lopez, for your time. And thank you for joining us for this edition of It's a Dog's Life. Everyone can download past episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.